whatever may pass and whatever lies before us, he is God, we're going to trust him and we're going to worship him, amen? We've been doing raise the praise. I hope you've been raising the praise not only in this room but in your individual lives, your personal devotions. We've got some banners in the back that still need some more praises written on them. We've almost got them up to the ceiling but not quite. So I want you to think about stopping by as you go out today and writing down some more praises in the years that have happened since Hurricane Katrina. And these 10 years have been full of the blessings of God in lots of ways. Although, when we think back, there's lots of painful memories. And I've heard some folks saying that, you know. We just don't want to remember all those difficult times. And they were indeed difficult. And, and I have to say that some of it's unpleasant when I start remembering it. And yet, God has been faithful. He's been good. And our plight is, uh, is always similar to that of other folks, including those in the Bible. So we're going to Revelation now. We're going to spend the next four weeks in the book of Revelation looking at the praise scriptures from Revelation. Maybe you don't realize what a great worship book Revelation is, but it truly is a wonderful book of worship. And it has a reputation as sort of a frightening and confusing book. But that's not really true at all. It is a book about worship, as you will see from the first chapter. We're going to chapter 1 today. Then we're going to go to chapters 4 and 5 in subsequent weeks. We're going to read the poetry that is the praise of the book of Revelation. And that's how we're going to conclude here in August our Raise the Praise series. Now today, I want us to read the first eight verses of the book of Revelation responsively. So I've got some scriptures to read, and you've got some scriptures to read. So when it comes your turn, I want you to read. Now, I also want you to notice, as I read, that there is a blessing for the one who reads out loud the book of Revelation and for those who hear it. There are seven benedictions. Hello, priors. I see Jared and Melissa Pryor and their children right over here. Jared worked with us for six or seven years, uh, particularly in the cleanup after Hurricane Katrina. So when I'm talking about that, Jared knows all about that. And, uh, and those were blessed years as well. It's good to see you all this morning. But the blessing is to those who read and those who hear this book. There are actually seven blessings in the book of Revelation, seven Beatitudes, if you will, or benedictions, where the word blessing is used. The book starts out with a blessing to those who read and those who hear, and it ends with a blessing to those who acknowledge God as Lord. Verse 1, chapter 1, the book of Revelation, here in the throne room. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. To the province of Asia. Grace and peace.
to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now John is exiled in an isle in the Mediterranean Sea. It's a rocky isle like the island of Malta where seven of our members went to minister not too long ago. And he was put there because of the word of God and the testimony about Jesus. He went to this prison island. And while he was there, he had this vision, which we call the book of Revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ delivered it to John and because it's about him. Jesus is the center of the book. He's the heart of the book, as he is the heart and center of the apostle John and his life. You can't read the gospel of John or the epistles of John without seeing Jesus on every page. He's everywhere. John is a Jesus person. And he believes Jesus is, as his gospel records, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And when, when John thinks about Jesus, he thinks about God's Son. He, he sees him as divine. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that's how John sees Jesus. And yet he gives this standard greeting in this letter, which turns into a long book of Revelation, grace and peace to you. He wants you to be enjoying the unearned favor of God, which is grace. No matter the difficult circumstances you may be in, the problems that have come your way, he is writing to a church that is persecuted. He himself has been put on this island for the testimony of Jesus. There are others not on the island. Some of them have died and they mourn their passing. Some of them have been persecuted in other ways. Many of them are afraid of what's going to happen next. The emperor is Domitian and he is launching an organized persecution of the church of Jesus Christ in that first century of its existence. That's the context of the book of Revelation, the persecuted church. A church that has been turned on by the government and the government wants to stamp it out. The Roman Empire wants to eradicate the church of Jesus Christ. That's the context of the book. Grace to you, those of you who are struggling, those of you who are hurting, those of you in trouble. Grace is the unearned favor of God. You enjoy it every time you take a breath. That's grace. Every time a sun ray strikes you, that's grace. Every time the rain falls in your thirsty lawn, that's the grace of God. It falls on the just and on the unjust. It is his creative love for we who walk this planet. Grace to you, and if you have trusted Jesus as Savior, you know his saving grace. You did not earn this any more than you earned the sunshine or the rain. It is given as the unearned favor of God. 
that we should become children of God. What a marvelous thing. What a wonderful thing. We cannot earn our place in heaven. We cannot earn our place at the table. God gives that by his grace made available to us through Jesus Christ who died upon the cross for our sin. Grace to you. Once you understand your position, this position of grace, this position of favor, though unearned, then you can enjoy the peace. Grace is your position. Peace is your condition. Peace is what flows out of that grace. Peace is what you enjoy, left to you from Jesus, who said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. It's not the kind of peace the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This is grace and peace. This is how the book of Revelation begins. It intends to deliver to you grace and peace. It intends to settle your soul in the struggle that you're in. It in intends to give you peace, not to frighten you. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And here it seems to me that he launches into a praise that involves all three persons of the Trinity. So we'll just call it Trinity praise. And you can praise God this way. It's praising him for who he is, who he is to us. He is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. The great and eternal God who lives in an eternal presence. It reminds me of the word that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. It echoes that truth about God that he is eternally present. He is the one who is and who was and who is to come. When the Apostle Paul was comforting the church. He said, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Not things present, nor things to come. I don't know what things are present in your life. But this is the God who is unchanging. There is no shadow of turning in him. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His magnificent love declared and demonstrated in his gift of his son Jesus and his death upon the cross, it is not changed. It continues to this very day. He is the unchanging God. You don't need to worry about shadows in his character. He is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. I don't know what you may fear about the future. Perhaps you contemplate some things about your own personal future or the future of the world. Maybe they frighten you and you think these things to come, they might separate me from the love of God. But the text says nothing, not even things to come, can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Now that's to give you peace. That's God's grace to you and it should render you peaceful. It needs to settle your soul. You ought to enjoy it. This is who God is to you. The unchanging God who loves you, who is always faithful. He says, the message comes from the seven spirits before the throne. And I think that's the Holy Spirit. Seven means fullness or completion. Isaiah 
recounts seven qualities of the Holy Spirit. When he talks about the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom and strength and power and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is given to us to walk with us in our journey. Sometimes when I praise, I praise the Spirit. And sometimes when I make my petition to God when I'm praying, I say, Holy Spirit, I need you right now because the Holy Spirit is the administrator of the Trinity. He, he takes care of us in our present circumstance. He fills us. He prepares us. He empowers us for the task God gives us to do. I think it's okay for you, like John, to address the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in your prayers and in your praises. It enriches your praise to know that this is who God is. And not only to the spirits before the throne, but to the faithful witness. He turns to Jesus then, and he talks about the faithful witness. Jesus shared the word of God with us. He did so faithfully, right up to his death. When the scriptures encourage persecuted Christians and Christians who are in trouble to look unto Jesus they encourage us to do so at the point of his death look unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross this will encourage you this will give you strength in your own journey when it becomes difficult when trials come your way when you're surprised by the pain that you encounter in your life to look unto Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross the writer of Hebrews comments after that he says now you guys who are following Jesus you have not yet resisted unto blood in your striving against sin you're still alive you hadn't been killed Jesus died on the cross that's how faithful he was so if you're faithful to him you're giving him what he's given to you he is the faithful one and so we are faithful in response to his faithfulness. He is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. You may think, well, wait a minute, Lazarus came out of that grave, but Jesus is called the firstborn over and over again. He is the first one who rose from the dead never to die again. He conquered death and the grave. And he's called the firstborn because there's a promise in there. There's some more who are going to have this birth, who are going to come out of the grave. We are given that promise that we're going to follow Jesus in resurrection. He is the firstborn, the scripture says, among many brethren. He delivers us from the fear of death that sometimes grips us and holds us. If you are afraid about dying, and it, you can be any age and worry about dying. My grandchildren, who are this tall, ask me about dying. After they lost one of their grandmothers, they asked my wife, their other grandmother, are you going to die? They're sorting it out. They're trying to figure it out. Death is a reality. We deal with it all the time. We see it in the newspaper. We hear it on the television. And we experience it in our own personal lives. And sometimes it grips us, and we're truly afraid, even terrified, by the specter of death. 
Jesus came to deliver us from that. He came to deliver us who all our lives were held in bondage by the fear of death. That's according to Hebrews 2.14. So that we can live this life in liberation from that fear. He is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. It seems like life is insane. The geopolitical realities of the first century could be terrifying to anybody and particularly to a believer. And there may be some in the room for whom the rulers of the earth are a great concern. You worry about the future of the world just like early Christians worried about the emperor Domitian. But I want you to set in context your fears, all right? First of all, Domitian was slaughtering Christians by the thousands, and, and that's not happening to you. It is happening in other places in the world. There are people today who are giving their lives for the cause of Christ. But we do not need to be numbered among those whose hearts are failing them for fear of the things that are coming on the world. The book of Revelation doesn't want you fearful of the things coming on the world and your heart failing for fear about it. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth and this truth is given again and again in Scripture and it is recorded here so that the first readers those folks who are suffering the great persecution under this terrible Roman emperor, will know that even though Domitian seems to be running wild, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Say, Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. But one day, the scripture assures us, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day every knee will bow. And his name is above all those other names. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. We confess this. We believe it. When we trust Jesus as Savior, we are participating in a future reality. Amen. One day every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord, just as you have done in faith today. You are participating in the future kingdom by trusting in Jesus as Savior. The Creator God sent His Son. His Son broke the back of sin and death and hell and the grave. And all who trust in Him join this flow of life that comes through Jesus Christ. It is the life that brought the universe into existence. And one day all of human history will culminate in Jesus who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. John is assuring every believer in the churches of his day, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's who he is. Who is God to us? Him who is, who was, and who is to come. The seven spirits before the throne. The faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And what has God done for us? Now John moves on from Trinity praise into Jesus praise. This is a book about Jesus and he is praising Jesus as he writes these things. To him who loves us. If your NIV is broken into verse, right here you're going to see that this is poetry. 
It starts right here. And often the translators will break it into poetry. Okay, What's the first line of the poem? To him who loves us. Wouldn't you expect that of the fellow who styled himself the one Jesus loves? I don't know how Peter and Andrew felt about John calling himself the one Jesus loved. The disciple whom he loved. John has this great sense of being loved by Jesus. He basks in it. He lives in it. It is his perspective in life. The disciple whom Jesus loved did this and that. And he loved Jesus back. And he says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Now he starts out his praise by saying, to him who loves us. And it's present tense in the NIV. There's a little bit of discussion about whether this verb ought to be past or present. If you look in the King James, it says the one who loved us. That's good too. We know his love is continuous. It is ever present. He always loves us. He continually loves us. But he loved us in a particular way, which John is going to talk about now in just a minute. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinners... Christ died for us. So there's a love in the past that is a powerful assurance and demonstration of God's love for me at all times and all places. The love of God is settled at Calvary. Greater love has no man than this, than he lays down his life for a friend. This is Jesus loving us to him who loved us, yes, in the past, If your present realities challenge the notion that God loves you. If you do not feel particularly an object of the love of God in the here and now. Although you are. You can always reflect back to what God did for you. In his magnificent gift of his son. God so loved the world. John 3.16 means God loved the world in this way. That's what the word so means. It's not an intensifier. It's explanatory. God loved the world in this way. He gave his only son. Now there's not a greater love than that. It's an awesome, unbelievable incredible love that God would give his son that's how God loved the world when he sent Jesus so if my present reality is not communicating to me the love of God although it should then I can look back to Calvary and say he who loved us we know he loved us he loves me in the present circumstance even though I'm experiencing pain I know he loves me But I know he loved me as well. So it is past, present, and future, this love of God for us. To him who loves us. It's what God does. The first part of this is who God is. And now it's what Jesus has done for us. He has loved us. And he has freed us from our sins by his blood. He has freed us. And it's the little word luo. And when I was taking Greek, we used luo to go through all the different forms of the verb. Do they still do that? 
We said them all. We recited them. It's the verb to loose. He loosed us from our sins. Who in the room has been captured by your sin? Who in the room can't get that sin out of your brain? Anybody in this room see that sin every time you close your eyes? Does it disturb your spirit and your conscience perpetually? Is it something you've gone to God about and said over and over again, God, please forgive me for this sin, and yet it still plagues you? Who in this room drags your guilt around in a little sack? Keeps it there, and always it's part of you. You always feel beaten up. You always feel unworthy because you've got this sack of guilt and shame that you tote around every day that you live. If you are doing that, you are denying what Jesus bought for you at Calvary, which is freedom from your sin. you got to put that back where it belongs in the depths of the sea, where God put it and remembers it no more against you. Jesus died on the cross to free you from the guilt and shame you keep towing around. He wants you living straight up, bold, secure in your faith, with your shoulders thrown back and your chin held high, knowing that you are a child of God and your sin has been cleansed and separated from you as far as the east is from the west. That's what Jesus died on the cross to secure for you. And keeping that guilt and shame too close, it doesn't make you a better person. It doesn't make you holier that you're bent over by the shame of these sins of the past. It just keeps your mind in that dark place instead of in that place of liberation Jesus bought for you with his blood. Sometimes we get get materials and they get stained and we got to have a special chemical to get the stain out, to loose that stuff out of the garment. And if I bring something to Janet, Janet's an expert at this kind of thing. She'll spray it and she'll get it clean because she knows what will take it out. See, he loves us and he freed us from our sins, plural, by his blood. It's a bloody gospel. The old covenant was bloody. The temple was a slaughterhouse of the ancient world. They made funnels in the stone where the blood would flow from the altar where they sacrificed the animals. That's just the truth. It was a bloody covenant. Now we're talking about the blood of Jesus. And yes, Jesus bled when he died. He bled when he was beaten. He bled when the crown of thorns was crushed on his head. He bled when they drove the nails in his hands and in his feet. Water and blood came out of his side when his side was pierced. And by his blood, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone's turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him. Jesus, the iniquity 
Every wrong thing we ever done or contemplated, every blight on our soul, every dark spot in our heart, every cruel act laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we are free not just from the eternal consequences of sin, but we are liberated to live in a spiritual and emotional freedom from that sin. Free from the guilt and the shame, truly, fully forgiven. Have you ever sensed that? You know what it is to experience complete forgiveness so that you are as white as snow on the inside and all the stuff that bothers you is taken away through the blood of Jesus. Do you know that? Have you ever sensed that? It's a wonderful spiritual moment when you know you are completely forgiven. There's such liberation and power in it. It's what he has done. He has made us to be a kingdom and priest, to serve our God and Father continually. Look! He is coming in the clouds. Future praise. He is coming in the clouds. John is remembering when he went up into the clouds. The clouds received him from their sight. Remember the ascension? And the two fellows in white who said, why are you looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who's gone up into heaven shall come in like manner as you have seen him go. Look, he received in the clouds. He is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. Yes, Jesus is the Savior, and he is also the judge. And the most important decision a man or woman makes on this planet is, what will you do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? There's not but one thing to do with your sin. you got to bring it to Jesus. He's the only one who can take it away. I challenge you today. Come to the one who is ruler of the kings of the earth, who loves us and frees us from our sin with his blood. Bow with me, please. Father, thank you for your love. Holy Spirit, do your work in us. Jesus, we praise you for your sacrifice upon the cross. God, we pray that you will find us faithful to you, even in this moment, as you have been faithful to us. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.